Okay. Timer goes on. Exodus chapter 9, are you guys there? Exodus chapter 9. We're going to look from verses 13 through the end of the chapter and all of chapter 10. We're looking at the next three plagues of the ten plagues in Egypt. Just a cheery little message. But I really hope and pray that God uses this to magnify his grace. So I want to start by reading verses 13 to 16 of chapter 9, and then I want to pray, and then we'll get into it together. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself, literally upon your heart, and on your servants and on your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put my hand out and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose... I have raised you up. Some versions say spared you. To show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would proclaim your name to our hearts loud and clear. That we would see you as you are. That we would reverence you as you are that we respond to you as you are and believe what you say about yourself. Please, Lord, have mercy on us and meet us here, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says? Amen. It's important that we see that God is doing more than judging Egypt for her sins. He's doing more than that. We, we need to see, as we just read, that what God is doing is he's revealing to Pharaoh and to Egypt and to Israel and to all of us who read this, he's revealing that he alone is God, that there's none other, there's none like him. This is why this happened. It, it, it was, yes, it was God who is a God of justice, who saw the injustice being done to his people saying, this has to stop. It is that. But it's also God who is a God of justice and a God of mercy and a God of love and a God of power saying to anyone who will watch or listen or read, this is what I'm like. And what's interesting about this is we, is we look at these next three plagues or judgments. We're going to see the same pattern we saw in the first uh, two triads, the first three plagues and this, the second three plagues. There was a pattern. That pattern continues in this next three plagues. That, that we're going to see that familiar pattern. But we're also going to see something much, much worse. We're going to see how Pharaoh responds to these because as God just says, we just read in, in the first verses, the first few verses, 13 to 16 of chapter 9, that God's saying, I'm going to put these plagues on your own heart 
Pharaoh, I'm going to deal with your heart. I'm going to expose your heart. And exposing Pharaoh's heart, guess what else happens? Our hearts get exposed. The thing about this section is that if we're being honest with ourselves, if we're being meek before God's word, it's hard to look at this and not realize and admit, man, my heart is often like Pharaoh's. So we get into the first plague that we're looking at today. It's actually the, uh, the sixth plague, or the seventh plague, sorry, and it's the plague of hail. And it begs the question, do we use our opportunity to seek safe shelter? What do I mean by that? Let's look at verse 17. God, speaking through Moses, says to Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause a very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from this day it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. What's going on? What's going on is we're seeing here that God's word has provided Egypt with a choice. God's given them a choice. When God says to Pharaoh, you are still exalting yourself, he's saying, this is why you're still under judgment, dude. This is why things are still hard for you, because you keep exalting yourself. And when God says in verse 19, uh, now therefore send, what's he doing? He's saying, listen, I've provided a way of escape. This is the first time in these judgments, in these 10 plagues, that God has said, here's a way of escape. Every other time it's been like, let my people go, or here comes the judgment. Now he's saying, let my people go, or here comes the judgment, but here's the deal. You can actually find shelter from this judgment. That's important. It's important that we see this is what God's doing. That God's not wanting to destroy life. He's wanting to redeem these people. And it's interesting, too, that when God gives this, this way of escape, some people take it and some people don't. Interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of a mystery, I have to say, why some people believe and some people don't. It's a mystery. It's a mystery to me why I believe. Because I'm a cynical person, man. I don't know why I believe, other than God's chased me down. It's interesting to me why other people don't believe. People who, who tip the hat to a Christian ethic and say, wow, the way Christians live, that's the right way to live. We need Christianity. Who, who, who even say, yeah, I think there's, good, uh, there's valid historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus, but, you know, we don't really see a resurrection, so I don't really believe Jesus is alive, so I don't really believe there's a God, and yeah, and you're like, why won't you believe? But there's a choice to be made here, isn't there? And here's the thing that we see, that, that our response to God's word is really our response to God, isn't it? L listen to what God says to another, uh, well, this is what God says uh, in his words in Isaiah 66. He says, all these things my hand have made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look. Here's who God pays attention to. He who is humble 
and contrite in spirit, notice, and trembles at my word. See, how we respond to what God says is how we respond to God. God's words provide in Egypt with a choice. But look at verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every plant in the field, in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. Lightning is what that is. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt, and there was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as not been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Notice verse 26, only in the land of Goshen, that's where the Israelites were kept, where the people of Israel were, there was no hail. Now, 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 let's not miss what's going on here, okay? This storm here, this hailstorm, is both unprecedented and clearly supernatural. That God's doing something here. And I, I, I don't want to minimize how terrifying this is be, and, and I don't want to be uh, glib about that. It would be a horrible thing to go through this, wouldn't it? So where we lived in Southern California in the desert, it didn't rain very much, but we did have these, these, these monsoon Tropical storms would come in August, and it would be like, it would roll in, it would just go dark, and thunder would be really loud, and lightning would strike, and the rain would just chuck down so much, the streets would flood, and 15 minutes later, it would be dry again. This is how it works in the desert. So it was like awe-inspiring, but it wasn't really scary, because we knew it was coming every year. Egypt is a place that almost never sees this kind of precipitation. So you, you bring in not just a bit of hail, but hailstones big enough to kill somebody. I, I, when I was preparing for this, I Googled, you know, hailstones that can kill somebody, which is, you know, what I do. And you, seriously, you look at the sort of the, the weather channel, these things that talk about this stuff, it is terrifying. The stuff that's there, this is even beyond that. And, and you combine that with the dark, you combine this with the sky darkening and the thunder and the lightning, and this would have been utterly terrifying. I can't imagine how hard this was for those who are experiencing it. But God does something specific here, doesn't he? He makes sure, he makes sure that none of this hits Goshen. None of this hits those that are his covenant people. Now there's, and one part of this is to show his covenant people that he can protect them, even from his own judgments, okay? Very important. But also part of this is to show Egypt, listen, do you recognize this is not just a, a natural disaster? This is not just things being really bad. This is a specific judgment, that God wants them to see, I'm doing something. I think this is important for us as well, because listen, sometimes we go through hard times and we think God must be judging us. That's not always the case. It could just be the fact that we live in a fallen world that's bad. I really don't think God is judging the Hubbards or the Howes for their crises. Sometimes it's just that we live in a broken world. But when God does bring this kind of judgment, he makes it clear so that people know that he's doing it. What happens? Verse 27. So then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you will stay. You shall stay no longer. 
Man, Pharaoh here seems to be recognizing some of the most important truths about God. Right? I mean, listen to what he's doing here. Pharaoh here is, he's saying God is right and me and my people are wrong. That sounds like repentance to me. There's a, there's a humility in what he's saying. There's a truthfulness in what he's saying. Yet, look at verse 29. Moses is, gonna be, is beginning to see what God's always seen. Look at verse 29. I lost my place. Oh, there it is, sorry. <laughs> see, I told you I need glasses. Verse 29, Moses said, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The, the thunder will cease, and there will, shall be, there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. So Moses is like, I heard your plea. I'm going I'm to fall through this. God's going to do this, right? But, verse 30, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not fear the Lord. There's no reverence there. And then we have these two verses that are in parentheses in my version. It says, the flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emer were not struck down, for they were late in their coming up. And you think, why do we need that agricultural report in the middle of this? Well, I think what's happening here is Moses is saying this is what, one of the reasons why he knew that Pharaoh didn't reverence the Lord. That Pharaoh's kind of going, well, yeah, okay, this is scary. I want this to stop. But the truth is we still got some, we still got some crops that will come through. See, what's going on here is, is that Pharaoh's heart, his statements are repentive, but his heart is not. He's still trusting in his limited crops, and not willing to trust the Lord. Verse 33. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So that the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Pharaoh and his servants kind of exemplify for us the difference between recognizing your sin and repenting from it. See, see, see Pharaoh was right when he says, I, God's in the right, me and my servants, we're in the wrong. He was right. He recognized something true, both about God and about himself. He, he recognized the sin he was guilty of, but he didn't want to repent of it. He didn't actually want something to change. See, he, here's the thing. When it comes to this, this judgment of hail, God is wanting Pharaoh to see, he's wanting Egypt to see, he's wanting Israel to see, he's wanting us to see, listen, that God, when he brings judgment, when he pronounces judgment, he also provides a way of escape. There's a shelter that we can find a way out from underneath the judgment of God. But if we won't repent, we won't find it. See, God speaks to us to say, this is the way, walk in it. He speaks to us. One of the things that I've been really convicted of this week in preparing this is the fact that I really know a lot of what God says. 
gosh, that sounds really prideful. Uh, I was convicted of that too. But having studied the scriptures for 35 years, I know a lot of what God says, but I am slow to respond as I should. I'll often write in my journal sins that I recognize that will take me weeks to actually repent of them. Maybe I don't even repent of them sometimes. God has to chasten me. Here's the reality, okay? God calls us to seek safe shelter. Do we? Because Pharaoh didn't. Listen to what the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, the author of Hebrews is actually referring to something that we're going to read way later on about God's people in Exodus. But isn't it interesting that the same thing that they would end up doing is what Pharaoh's doing right now? Do we use our opportunity to seek safe shelter? What's the next plague? What's the next judgment? Locust. And it begs the question, do we humble ourselves before God? Chapter 10, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, so that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country, and they shall cover the face of the land, so that no one can see the land, and they shall eat what is left to you after the hail, and they shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field, and they shall fill your houses and the houses of all your servants and all the Egyptians, and neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from this day on the earth till this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Isn't it interesting that what God's doing here is is God's going to confirm Pharaoh's pride to humble his own people? How do I know that? Well, what do we read in chapter 9, verse 34? We read that when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and thunder had ceased, he sinned again and hardened his heart, he and the servants. So, so the writer Moses wants us to know this is not just Pharaoh's issue, it's the issue of all those there. They're all, they're all, it's a common issue of hardening their hearts, all the Egyptians, okay? But then what we read in chapter 10, verse 1, is God saying specifically, I have hardened his heart. Now this is interesting because the word hardened that's used over and throughout this, there's, well, there's two words used for hardened over and throughout this whole section of these ten plagues. One is used when it talks about Pharaoh hardening his heart. We talked about this, this, this word kabod, and it means like to be heavy. And, and we talked about in the context of Pharaoh hardening his heart, it's like he, he's just kind of like that, that large stubborn child that just kind of goes down and says, you're not going to pick me up. No. He's kind of putting all his weight down so you can't move him. And then often the word for hardened when it says the Lord hardened his heart is a different word that basically means God kind of uh, gets a grip or lets go of a grip. And God's kind of saying, okay, I'm going to let you just, I'm going to keep you in that place. But this is the only time where it speaks of God hardened his heart where it uses that word kabod. Like God says, I'm going to make you heavy. This is heavy. (laughs) Literally hard to think about. 
Because here's what's happening. Listen, God is basically giving Pharaoh up to the hardness of his heart. It's like God is saying, okay, Pharaoh, you want to keep hardening your heart, hardening your heart, hardening your heart? You want to lead your people in this direction? There you go. It's yours. You want this? Boom. It's yours. That's seriously hard to think about, isn't it? You say, wait a second. Isn't that God taking away Pharaoh's ability to choose? No. This is God, con- this is God leaving Pharaoh in what he's chosen. Pharaoh, you want this? Boom. This is part of God's judgment. Now, this is heavy. I know. This is hard to hear. I know. But this is God's mercy to everyone else in Egypt, to all of Israel, and to anyone who reads this. This is God's mercy to say, it's a serious thing to keep hardening your heart against God. It's a serious thing. And if you come to church, whether it's this church or another church, and you hear God's word week after week after week after week, and you don't respond to that, you don't respond to the God of the word, you know what's happening to your heart? It's getting hard. And serious. This is why the author of James, James says, in his little epistle, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. got nothing to do with us trying to earn a place with God. It's got to do with us believing that God is so good, as he revealed himself to be in Jesus, that he's so good that anything he commands is for our good. Do you know God never benefits from our obedience? God has all. God is, has everything he ever needs. He doesn't never benefits from anything we do. He doesn't need us. You know who benefits from our obedience? We do. And when God calls us to respond to his word, to believe his word, he calls us to that because it's for our good. Because he loves us. Because he wants us to relate to him. And so what happens? God's doing this to confirm to his people. Look again at verse 2. Actually, verses 1 and 2, right? He says, I've hardened God's heart. I'm sorry, hardened God's heart. I've hardened Pharaoh's heart and the heart of his servants. Notice verse 1 of chapter 10. That I may show these signs of mine among them. In other words, this is for three different audiences. First audience, this is for the Egyptians. Second audience, for your son and your grandson. This is for future generations. Third audience, who is it? That you may know that I am the Lord. Moses, you need to see this. Moses, you need to see this. We, we know that how the, we, spoiler alert, we know what happens to Moses, don't we, right? What happens to Moses? Does Moses enter in the promised land with his people? Why? He misrepresents the Lord. Now, does that mean Moses wasn't saved and Moses didn't get to heaven? No, we know from New Testament scriptures, Moses is God's man. God has him. He's going to be with us in glory. But it does mean he missed out on something grand. He really did. Why? Because he would end up hardening his heart. Any of us can do it. Really, this is what it is. It's our pride. We don't want to humble ourselves before God. Look at verse 3 again. Basically, what's happening here is God is saying, okay, I'm going to make, through this locust, I'm going to make the Egyptian economy bow to me. You know why, Pharaoh? Because you refuse to bow to me. In fact, he uses the words, right? Doesn't he say that? Refuse? He says, if you refuse, let my people go. 
He says right before that in verse 3, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? Notice, before me? You said some humble words before Moses, but what about your heart before me, God says. Hey, it doesn't matter if I think you're humble or if you think I'm humble, but it doesn't matter if God knows we're humble. It doesn't matter if we know we're humbling ourselves before God. It really matters. In verse 7, we read this, that the Pharaoh's servant said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? You see what's happening, that things are kind of cracking, right? Pharaoh, who's supposed to speak in the name of God, they're going, you're not getting this. You're not hearing from God at all. You're not divine at all, because this guy's doing something to us. It's not good. He says, let the men go, verse 7, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet understand that Egypt is ruined? I don't know why all the translations say ruined. Well, I do know why, because they are being ruined. But you know what the word actually is? Lost. They're lost. And I think that fits well with what the sort of uh, Egypt, not just as a historical nation that went through these things, but as a metaphor for us. We're lost. And our lostness is always shown in our pride. Verse 8, so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, go, serve the Lord your God. But which ones are, you, but which ones are to go, he asked. Moses said, we will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters, with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But Pharaoh said to them, the Lord be with you if I ever let you go, you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you're asking. And they were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. Do you see what he's doing here? Pharaoh, who enslaved an entire nation, who forced them to labor to the point of exhaustion and probably at times death, Pharaoh, who murdered babies, Hebrew baby boys, to try, or tried to at least, to make them weak. Pharaoh then has the audacity to say, You're, you have evil intent here. You know what this is? This is pride. Pride blinds us. It, it changes our perspective. It blinds us to what we're really like and what others are really like. Pride. This is Pharaoh's sin. He thinks He's like God. He thinks he should have his own way. He thinks he has the right to choose to be and do whatever he wants. And then he looks at other people who are trying to do something that's just and says, you're evil. You're doing evil. But Pharaoh's pride shows itself in other ways too. Look at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locust so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land and all that the hail has left. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all, all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locust and the locust came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as had never been before, nor ever will be again. And they covered the face of the land so that the land was darkened, and they ate all the plants that were left, and all the fruit of the trees, and the hail that was left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field, through all the land of Egypt." 
Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin. Please only this once and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So when he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord, the Lord turned the wind into the very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let his people go. Isn't this interesting? God sends the worst possible locust disaster. It's going to be, there's no way that they've ever seen anything like this, and they won't see anything like this again. God's wanting to, again, make it clear this is, this is a judgment. This is not just a natural disaster. But notice also what Pharaoh does. Pharaoh is seeking freedom from the consequence of his sin. Please, okay, I've sinned again. Just, just, just this once, no consequences. No consequences. But the truth is, he wants to keep that sin. You know, this is, this is exactly what we do, isn't it? Isn't it what we do? God, forgive me my sin. Just don't take it away. We love the idea of a consequence freedom. We, like, we, we don't have freedom of consequence. We love that idea. In fact, have you noticed yourself doing this? You, 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 you have some sort of habit or sin or addiction or whatever it is, and you fall back into it, and you think, oh, man, I should go to jail, or I should get busted, or my relationship should fall apart, whatever the case might be, I should get fired, whatever it should be. And then what happens, you don't get caught, and you're like, oh, thank you, God, for that mercy. I didn't get caught. But the next time, it's a little easy to do it, isn't it? Because you didn't get caught. And each time you do it, you still are hoping, I just don't get caught but I hope I can still keep doing it. This is what we do. In fact, listen, the only way we break that cycle, and this is actually why I, I think it's healthier to see addiction as sin and sin as addictive than it is to see either of those things as diseases. Because a disease is something that you didn't bring on yourself, but an addiction or sin is stuff that we choose. So here's the thing that we need to see, though. We need to see that this is what we do. We fall into this pattern of requesting forgiveness without repentance. You know what that is? It's pride. Who are we to say to God, God, please let me get away with stuff? None of us really want this either, by the way. We want to get away with our stuff, but we don't want anybody to get away with their stuff against us. Have you noticed that? We all do that, don't we? We demand justice when it's against us, but when it's against somebody else, we, or when we do it, we think mercy. What is that? It's pride. I deserve better than other people. I deserve better than anyone else. I'm above others. Listen, here's what we need to understand. Here's, the, here's what's the question that's being begged by this plague. Do we humble ourselves before God? Because listen, you might show a, a horizontal humility that convinces people, but God knows our hearts. But here's the reality. When we humble ourselves vertically, you might say, and say, God, I, I, it's you that determines what, what I've done is right or wrong. It's you that says if I'm innocent or guilty. It's you who are the judge, God. You. You know what that does? 
when we do that, one, it makes us realize how much we need Jesus, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But also, it makes us realize, who am I to judge anybody else? God's the judge, not me. Listen to what the Scripture says. There's so much in the Scripture about our need to humble ourselves. Proverbs 29 23 says, One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will retain, obtain honor. You think in being prideful that you deserve better, but actually you're going to put yourself in a lower place. Jesus himself says, Whoever, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is clear. Here's plan A, humble yourself. Here's plan B, be humiliated. Choose plan A. And James again says so clearly, humble yourself, notice, before the Lord and he will exalt you. Humble yourself before the Lord. What do you think God says about your heart right now? We come to the ninth plague, darkness. Verse 21 of chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land, a darkness to be felt. That's terrifying, isn't it? Now, this is that pattern that we saw before uh, of the, uh, the, the kind of th- the three plagues in a row, the three judgments in a row, where the first one is go in the morning and give him a warning. The second one is tell him what you're going to do if he doesn't let your people go. The third one is just you, just you just do it without warning. And this is the, the third one, without warning, darkness, a darkness that can be felt. And so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in the land of Egypt. How many days? Three. That's important. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But notice verse 23, but all the people of Israel had lights where they lived in Goshen. We're going to come back to that. Verse 24 says, then Pharaoh and Moses, then Pharaoh called Moses and said, go serve the Lord your God. Now, Let's talk about this. The number one god, little g, in Egypt was Ra, the sun god. He was the god. All other gods bowed to Ra. Ra, the sun god. I mean, Egypt's a sunny place. And so if you live in a sunny place like that, you feel the power of the sun both in what it can do to give life, if you can get water, which is what the Nile did. They also worshiped the Nile. But also in the fact that it can destroy. You need shelter from it. It's a powerful thing, the sun, isn't it? And so the Egyptians worshipped the sun. This is who they wanted to, to say. But here's the deal. The sun god, Ra, is nothing before the god who sent his only begotten son. Nothing. So that when God is doing this, what God's trying to do is he's trying to expose the weakness of their greatest idol. The thing that they thought, this is the God. If we worship just this God, if we get that worship right, all the other things will fall into place. Let's just worship the sun God raw right. If we worship him right, everything else will fall into place. And God is saying, no, that's foolishness. This is how weak your greatest God is compared to me. You know, God's done this before. Not just the (laughs) the sort of darkening of the sky, but, but he's... He's made it clear 
to a pagan leader that the gods they worship are pointless, to a world superpower. He does this several times in the scripture. Listen to what God writes to Cyrus in Isaiah chapter 45. Cyrus, the Persian leader. Listen. God says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. This terrifies us because we don't like the idea of a God being this much in control. But he is. And he's showing this to Pharaoh and to Egypt and to Israel and to us so that we would recognize how foolish it is for us to worship anyone but him. And, and here we have what we read in verse 23, right? That it's, dark, it's so dark everywhere, people can't see each other. It's so dark everywhere, people can't move. And yet, in that darkness, they see off in the distance the glow of light from Goshen, where God's people dwell. A city on a hill that can't be hidden. That's what they see. And it says, after, after Moses writes that, it says the verse 24, then Pharaoh called to Moses and said. So Moses has seen something. What happens? He said, go serve the Lord, verse 24, go serve the Lord, your little ones, uh, that your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and herds remain behind. But Moses said, you must also let us sacrifice the, uh, and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take of, of them to serve the Lord our God. And we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Do you see what Pharaoh's doing? Pharaoh calls on the light. Darkness everywhere. Can't see nothing. There's a glow, Pharaoh, over there. Where is that? It's in Goshen. Ugh. Call Moses and Aaron. Tell them to get over here. Look, you can go. Just leave your livestock. Now, why is he saying that? Probably two reasons. One, they'd be hungry. There's nothing left to eat in Egypt. But also, what's he doing? He's trying to say, I'm still in control. I'm trusting in my own power. That's what he's doing. See, here's what Pharaoh does, right? Pharaoh continues to trust in his own power because here's the deal. Repentant means no longer trusting in your own ability but surrendering to God's power. How many of us are doing that? I am not saying we don't have a responsibility, but... What I am saying is, do we trust in ourselves or do we trust in God? Who are we trusting? Who are we living for? Where are we looking for meaning and purpose and answers and forgiveness and hope? Where? Pharaoh thought, I'll look to myself. I got this. It's interesting, this whole idea of darkness as a judgment. Because in the book of Revelation, we see of another judgment, which I believe is probably future. In Revelation chapter 16, here's what it says. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. That's the Antichrist. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. And people gnawed their tongues in anguish. And what do they do? Cursed the God of heaven for their pains and sores. 
They did not repent of their deeds. Even when people know it's God judging them, they still go, no, I'm going to be in control of my own life. How stupid is this, guys? How foolish is this when we do this? Verse 27, I'm almost done. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, get away from me and take care never to see my face again. Who's he saying that to? Moses. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. And Moses says, as you say, I will not see your face again. Now, Moses will see his face again, but he's basically saying, fine. Because here's who Moses is, don't forget. Moses is the only mediator between God and Pharaoh. Pharaoh has no direct access to God. He can only talk to God through Moses. Did you notice that? Moses is the mediator, right? And that points forward to Jesus, who the scripture says is the only mediator. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There's, For there is one God and one mediator between man, God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is important. It's important because what's going on here is Moses, I'm sorry, is Pharaoh is rejecting God's mediator. He's rejecting the only one who can actually go between him and God, who can actually seek God for relief from this judgment. He's, that's what he's doing. Pretty heavy, isn't it? Now, now here's where it gets good news. This has been pretty heavy so far. Yes, yes, we all agree this has been a light little message. But here's where there's hope. And I love the fact that you can't go anywhere in Scripture without God making sure you have hope. Because as, as much as Moses was, in a very real sense, a faithful mediator to Pharaoh, we have a better mediator in Jesus. A much better mediator. Because when Moses mediates, he pronounces the judgment of God. He pronounces onto Egypt three days of darkness. What does our mediator do? Listen to this. Matthew chapter 27, Jesus is on the cross, and it says this, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, and about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemethabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's happening? Three days of darkness are a, a, a message to Egypt, to Pharaoh, you are judged. Three days, or sorry, three hours of, of, of darkness on Jesus are a message to us, Jesus is judged. For what? What did he do wrong? What could Jesus possibly be judged for? He did nothing wrong. He's judged for us. He's judged in our place. Do you guys see this? Do you guys get this? Let me ask you a serious question. Which do you deserve, the three days of darkness or Jesus dying in your place? Which do you deserve? Which do you want? Which one do you want? I love this, guys, because listen, we, we don't have to reject God's mediator. God in his mercy has brought you here today to hear this message, to know there's a mediator between you and God that's greater than Moses that isn't pronouncing judgment, but is pronouncing forgiveness because he's taken on your judgment. If you want that. 
fact, the Apostle Paul will write it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He'll say, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, we might be as right with God as Jesus is. We might be as rendered as innocent as Jesus is. That's the gift that God gives us through our mediator, Jesus. Our hearts are far more stubborn than the heart of Pharaoh's. Maybe we should say this is Pharaoh. They're just as stubborn. They're far more stubborn than we realize. You have so much more pride and stubbornness and sinfulness than you realize. You really do. So do I. But we are loved in a way that we can't even imagine. We're loved by a God who would be right to judge us in the same way he judged Egypt. But instead, that God took on flesh and chose to go to the cross for us. He took on our darkness so that we could live in his light. That's what he did. There's none like him. So let me ask you a real serious question. What God are you going to serve? <laughs> are you going to pick one of the many gods that the Egyptians followed? Are you going to make up your own gods to follow? Or do you want to follow this God? This God who loved you and gave himself for you. This is your choice. And Father, I pray you'd help us to choose you. That you would work in our hearts even now, Lord. And I pray if there's anyone here who has not cried out to you and said, Lord, save me for Jesus' sake, they would do it right now. And I pray for, for any of us here who do know you, but Lord, we see in Pharaoh's heart some of our heart. We, Lord, we thank you that you've given us a new heart. So Lord, may we put on that new man, that new heart, and walk in it. May we say no to our desires to rule our own lives and say yes to you who's worthy to rule our life, who's provided for us forgiveness and salvation and hope and meaning. Father, meet us here in this. And while we're all in the attitude of prayer, if there's anyone here who knows they need Jesus to save them and you want Jesus to save you today, Everyone's heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. I'm not trying to embarrass you, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If you're here today and you're going, I need this Jesus to save me. I know I deserve the judgments that Egypt got, or even worse. Do you want him to save you? I want you to lift your hand and look at me, make eye contact with me and say, yes, I want Jesus to save me. Anybody want that today? Lift your hand up if you want that. A, it is a choice to be made. Lift your hand up, don't be embarrassed. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else want to do that for the first time today? All right. Father, I thank you, um, Lord, for that person who raised their hand, and we ask, God, that you would uh, help them, Lord, to learn to have a relationship with you. We pray, Father, that you would help us all to walk 
in the relationship you've provided for us. Lord, we, when it's God versus, when it's you versus any of us, Lord, we lose every time. But when it's you for us, Lord, we win every time. So we just commit the rest of this day to you, the rest of this week, and we thank you that you love us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And again, all who agree say, amen. amen. Bless you guys. Don't forget the summer challenge. Invite someone over for a meal this week, all right? See you soon.